Hello, everyone. Welcome to Stick It Out, a podcast about caregiving. Mr. Milton Bananas here. I've been the primary caregiver to my wife for about three years now. My dear Ethel was born with cystic fibrosis. She had a double lung transplant back in 2007 and is now in need of a second double lung transplant as her body began rejecting those lungs about three years ago. According to a report by the National Alliance for Caregiving and AARP, at least 44 million Americans provide unpaid care for an adult or a child. That's a lot of people, and it seems to me that very few of us are talking about it. So I decided to start this show to help bring some attention to what we caregivers go through and maybe help my fellow caregivers feel a little less isolated. As it's been a minute in the banana timeline since the last episode, I'll first catch you all up on Ethel. The previous episode was recorded about a month before it was posted. Between that time, Ethel had another hospital stay, her second this summer. It turned out that the previous bout of pneumonia had returned. They gave her daily rounds of antibiotics during her two-week stay while she waged war on the nephrology docs who kept changing her diet. One of them walked into her room, told her that her levels were good and nothing needed changed, then walked right back out and put her on a low-phosphorus diet. When Ethel called down to order lunch about 10 minutes later, hold on, give me, give me a minute here because rarely do I get to say this, so let me savor it. Ethel lost her shit. She's so nice all the time, consistently the scar Joe to my hawk. So I deeply enjoy it when someone finally pushes Ethel over the edge. Frankly, even when it's me, I love to watch her snap at some nurse, shame a doctor, insult an entire department, if not field of study, all because she can't get milk. Milk, my friends, the most innocent of beverages. In the 15 years we've been together, I've heard her speak ill of someone maybe three times. Three times. And in one day, she laid low an entire department because of their lactose intolerant policies. It was glorious. And just as a reminder, Ethel was born with cystic fibrosis. If you know someone with CF, no matter how horrifying their diet to you, no matter how long it's been since you saw her eat a vegetable or what you believe might be the upper limit of a person's daily chocolate intake, never, under any circumstances, fuck with a CFer's food. Let that be a stick it out PSA. Anyhow, Ethel won that battle and the antibiotics won their battle too. At this point, her lung function is about the same 18%, but her carbon dioxide level is high. It's not dangerously high, but she's having noticeable cognitive issues during the four or five hours she's awake each day. Rather than just using her big oxygen concentrator, she'll now use a BiPAP machine at night. Side note, the fundamental difference is that the concentrator provides oxygen for her to inhale, while the BiPAP will force the O2 into her lungs. Being constantly reinflated as she sleeps, like the main attraction at a bachelor party, does not sound like fun. Poor Ethel. I hope it's not too hard on her. And I hope it helps. While Ethel was in the hospital, she was still essentially Ethel, especially after the nutrition department told the cafeteria that she could have whatever she wanted to eat. 
for real. She went so hard on them that she could have gotten them to remove all the brown M&Ms from the bowl in her dressing room. However, since coming home, she's been awake maybe six hours at most each day, and she feels truly herself for about half of that. Now, as I'm sitting here talking to myself in a closet at the moment, clearly I don't mind the sound of my own voice, but I'm not very good at keeping myself company. My music rules, but I spoil all the punchlines before I finish telling myself the jokes. Probably the single hardest aspect of at least spousal caregiving, though from my time on Reddit it seems more universal than that, is a loneliness so comprehensive you feel like a lone puzzle piece turned upside down on a beige carpet. A loneliness so entire you feel invisible. We all know that loneliness and being alone are not the same thing. Myself, I'm what you'd call an introvert and what my fellow introverts would call a solitary guy. There's a distinction between loneliness and solitude. I sum up that distinction with a simple statement. Solitude is when you feel alone and you're content with it. I love solitude. Even today, feeling about as lonely as I can take, I still sought solitude by going for a long walk in the park, down a new unpaved path, purposefully, so that I'd have to keep my mind here in my solitude rather than elsewhere in my loneliness. Solitude is grand in this podcaster's opinion. Note that Superman didn't have a fortress of loneliness, my friends. There is one other distinction between solitude and loneliness that we must address before moving on. Solitude is almost always experienced on one's own. Loneliness, well, that's the real cutting part about loneliness, isn't it? Loneliness doesn't care whether anyone's around or not. Loneliness can happen even while you're being intimate, skin on skin, heavily breathing the same room's air, or when you're in a room full of people, or even both at the same time if you're into that sort of thing. Loneliness is when you feel alone and you're not okay with it. It doesn't matter whether you're flying solo right then or not. Left untended to, loneliness will carve deep into one's soul, like a mountain stream that eventually carves a riverbed and then a canyon on its way through lower ground. But well before that happens, loneliness will make you feel invisible. And every single person on this planet can only tolerate being invisible for so long before they scream to be seen. Settle in, folks. Papa Banana's gonna tell you a story about loneliness. This was about a year ago during another of the harder periods as Ethel's health has declined, and, like now, she was sleeping a great deal each day. I had been in a pretty low funk for maybe a week or so, worried and upset and, most of the time, just feeling really lonely. On this particular day, I'd been out running errands, spending the entire morning hitting up various big box stores, negotiating the parking lots of each, where 
any previously sane and careful driver suddenly acts like we're auditioning for a new Mad Max movie. And then once I go inside, all those same maniacs have turned the local grocers into a shopping cart thunderdome. You're lucky if you can even get through the door without losing some ankle skin. It was getting to be around 1 p.m. and I had so far survived. Slightly maimed a forearm by a wayward pineapple, true story, but no harm done. I was really hungry but almost finished. I decided I'd swing through Starbucks. I thought I'd treat myself to a coffee and a hot sandwich before I went home and unloaded the car in the rain. And, you know, then got to whatever else needed gotten to that day, all on my own. I parked the car, went inside, and the guy who took my order was very pleasant. After he handed me my coffee, he said my sandwich would be up in a few minutes. I sat down in a chair in plain view of the register and waited and watched as he completely forgot about my sandwich. He'd gotten busy cleaning and talking, talking and cleaning is all there was to it. He had no idea that he'd forgotten, none in the slightest. There was no intent, of course. It just slipped his mind. I sat there quietly, not in the least bit surprised. I'd felt invisible at home this week, invisible at doctor's appointments last week, and invisible to every person on the road and in the stores today. This is how pervasive loneliness gets. Rather than feeling merely unseen, I begin to feel unseeable, a specter in sallow morning mist. After ten full minutes had passed, I approached the counter. The guy quit talking to whomever and smiled at me, saying, Welcome to Starbucks. How can I help you? My friends, he had no idea he'd seen me before, nor that I'd been sitting in a chair ten feet away in plain view. At some point, I had to ask myself, Am I even real? When your whole day is spent caring for someone who either sleeps, ignores you, or is hostile towards you all day, as some caregivers deal with, when you've spent months or years foregoing your own needs without a single person noticing, when everyone tells you how they're so grateful for you, but all they see is what you do for someone else, not what you yourself might need, and then this random guy doesn't remember you from 10 minutes ago. Questioning your own reality is simply a logical conclusion. But it was heartbreaking. I stood there in front of him, I who mattered so little that he thinks we've met for the first time, while I fight for two lives and the soul of a marriage every damn day. And I lost another piece of something that was once part of me, just like that in the folds of a blank stare. Trying not to let any of what I felt slip into my tone of voice, I reminded him politely about my sandwich. He was thoroughly embarrassed and set about writing things. I sat back down in the same chair, right in front of the registers. After a bit, I heard the sound of the oven. I watched him walk over, take my sandwich out, put it in a bag, and just leave it right there while he took the orders of a party of three and then two more customers. And when he finished, he went right back to cleaning and talking and talking and cleaning. I had plenty of time, knowing he would stumble upon my sandwich sooner or later, to debate what to do next. To this guy, I was so beyond pale, something with no spark or shimmer, as memorable as one more headstone. 
so much so that he forgot me twice in less time than it takes to get to know someone. You hear people say something like, remember that anyone you talk to has their own shit going on, right? We've all heard something like that. That's me. They're talking about me. And, my friends, they're talking about you, too. This guy, who still hadn't found my sandwich, if I asked, I'll bet he'd say they're talking about him, too. Odds are, he has his own everyday struggles, and, same odds says, he thinks his struggles are at least as hard as mine. Probably harder. They very well could be, I reasoned. Nevertheless, there was a crucial distinction between us. I don't believe that my struggles give me the right to ignore anyone else's for any reason. Eventually, as I knew would happen, he turned with surprise, the bagged sandwich in his hand, and he sought me out in the cafe, though I'd been sitting right there all this time. The sandwich bag was already cool to the touch. He didn't even offer to warm it up, but he was nice enough to thank me for coming in. To me... This guy had ruined the one nice part of my plan today, having a hot sandwich on a rainy day before I went home to the profound silence of bearing invisible witness to my partner's gradual decline and our race against a merciless clock. I can only be invisible for so long before I start screaming to be seen. So I accepted the sandwich from him, looked him right in the eye, and gently flung it behind the counter. Not at anyone or anything, just a gentle lob that ended in a soft smack when it hit the floor. All of the other baristas, who'd had no idea what was happening, glanced around, either confused or bemused, to see a croissant flying through the air. The guy who'd forgotten about me twice in 15 minutes just went, Okay? And looked at me like I was the crazy person. Which I am, because... I needed those looks from those other baristas to prove that I was real right then. As Rene Descartes said, I fling, therefore I am. I didn't say a word to anyone. Having ascertained reasonably solid ontological proof of my existence, I just left. I didn't need anything else from them. That's the real danger of loneliness. When people feel like they don't exist, they usually either A, do something to prove that they do, or B, do something that might cause them not to exist. This is why when people ask, what's the hardest part about caregiving? My answer is loneliness. It's not really the truth. The hardest part is watching this woman I know so well, whom I love so deeply, whom I know to be so vibrant and lively and frankly crazy in the most entertaining ways slowly lose the ability to do things, slowly lose herself more and more. But I say loneliness for two reasons. Most importantly, I can say it without crying, most times. For me, though maybe not for you, the loneliness is the most dangerous. Loneliness invites certain temptations that otherwise would never see the top of my mind. Temptations only tantalizing because to engage in them would mean that I exist outside of my own head. But this is how I spent most of the first four decades of my life. If caregiving offers us just one positive, it's at least the chance to rebuild. It's exhausting, believe me. But if caregiving is going to be so fucking hard anyway, it'd be a waste not to try to better myself.
What I'd like you to ask yourself, especially my fellow caregivers out there, is are there things that you do because you're screaming to be seen? Are there obvious things, like literally sometimes screaming, maybe into a pillow or into the cold air of night? Are there more subtle things, such as not taking your own medications to force an eventual confrontation? Are there maybe secret things, like cutting or other ways that we harm ourselves, things you're horrified for someone to discover while you yearn for someone to discover them? Are there things you do or don't do for your person to, again, force a reality-verifying argument? Or maybe not to force an argument, but just to assert a little power in some way that proves you're not just plugged into the matrix? And here's the question I really want you to think about. Are any of these things, these ways that you might subtly scream to be seen, hurting you more than they're helping you? It really can go either way. Some things we caregivers do may not be looked upon as quote-unquote healthy by normal societal standards. The prevalence of spousal caregivers who have affairs is a good example, as is the number of caregivers who turn to alcohol or other substances to help them get by. I think solid arguments can be made in both cases that these might be positive ways to cope. As I've said before, caregiving makes you weird, by society standards at least. So the only way to know if what you're doing to stick it out as a caregiver is helpful or hurtful is to weigh those things according to your own set of scales. Are any of these things, these ways that you might scream to be seen, are they hurting you more than they're helping you? And now for the return of our segment, One Little Victory. The point of One Little Victory is to take time each day to recognize something you did that was a win. Big or small, doesn't matter, even if it didn't feel like a victory at the time. The point is to take a minute to remember how it feels to put up a W at the end of the day's innings. I'll share one with you today. Back in episode four, I made a great bit of fuss about how impossible the schedule was for our last visit to Pittsburgh. And let me say here that I knew at the time that it wasn't intentional on the hospital's part. I didn't even think it was one person's fault, in truth, though it did begin to feel that way after a little while. I knew it was an oversight, but that didn't make it any easier to deal with. Anyway, I'd called Ethel's coordinator at some point afterward to talk to her about that schedule. I ended up talking to the person in charge of all the coordinators in that particular office. She was very kind and listened incredibly well. And as I had worked out my frustrations via the drum bit I had come up with to tell the story against, we had a nice, good discussion. She agreed that the schedule was stacked against us that day, and then we kind of talked about ideas to prevent that from happening in the future. Fast forward to this week. Ethel and I are literally in with the docs at her local clinic when my phone starts ringing. Seeing it's from her Pittsburgh docs, I excuse myself and answer. We have a visit out there coming up soon, and someone was just calling to double-check our schedule for the day with us. (laughs) The day's visit is only three appointments, and they're all in the same building, so as long as that building is where it usually is, or at least doesn't move too far away in the night, it won't be a problem at all. But I was flabbergasted, so much so that I said thank you at least half a dozen times. 
This is an office where, in the past, our schedule for the visit sometimes arrived in the mail after we'd gotten back from it. And here was that same office asking me if our upcoming schedule was okay. I hope they're doing the same thing for all the other patients they care for. I hope it's more of a policy change than just a note in Ethel's chart. I'll have to ask if I can do so. That's one little victory if there ever was one. I feel, I feel I deserve a hero's breakfast for that one. You there, bring me all the omelets and toast in the land, and I want a decanter of hollandaise sauce. A full decanter. Anyway, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen. I'm grateful that you give my show even a little bit of your attention. If you wish to reach out, you can find me on Reddit at user Mr. Milton Bananas. I would especially love to hear about any of your one little victories. Until the next episode, be well out there, everyone. <laughs>